Galatians 3, 26 through 29. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and the heirs according to the promise. And you are moving and alive, that you are moving in, in hearts and minds. And we pray, God, that you would continue to do that now as we come to your word and seek to listen to what you have for us today. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so these are our statements on our calling as a church to be a church of uncommon unity. Would you say these with me again this morning? We are a diverse community brought together by our shared experience of the love of Jesus, our King, by expressing our spiritual gifts and by welcoming each person as a unique bearer of God's image. So over the last few weeks, we've focused on our unity as a church that's united and grounded in the life of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about about diversity, about the uncommon part of our uncommon unity. The calling of our church is to be a church of uncommon unity. That is to say that we're believed, we believe that we are called to be a church that worships God and that lives and acts and serves together side by side in unity together as followers of Jesus. We're called to unity, but we're called to an uncommon unity. That is to say that our unity, our togetherness, our, our friendship, our community does not exist because we're all very much like each other, because we all have similar backgrounds or are in similar stages of life, or even because we all agree on every single doctrinal issue. But instead, we believe we're called to Broadway to be a community that expresses a great deal of diversity, a wide range of ages and ethnic backgrounds and political opinions and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We're called together as a community here at Broadway simply because of Jesus. Jesus has brought us into relationship with the triune God who made us and who loves us and who has a good and perfect plan in our lives and for our world. And we want to learn together as a community how to worship together. Uncommon unity is one of our callings here as a church And it's really, really hard, right? It's really hard. When we began the series a few weeks ago, I mentioned that of all four of the different characteristics that we've identified as a church that God has called us to be, that this is the one that has been the most difficult and the most disappointing for me and for many of us over the last few years. We've discovered over the last few years that this quality of our church, while it does exist and we do see it being expressed, we discovered that in many ways this was much more of an aspiration for us rather than a reality. That there's a lot of work that the Holy Spirit needs to do in each one of us and in all of us as a church to more fully live out this uncommon unity. 
And so here is our our outline for today. My outline this week does not rhyme, and it does not have any alliteration in it. But here it is. Two main points. Diversity is a challenge, and diversity is a gift. And under each of those headings, there's two points. Diversity is a challenge because it just is. And diversity is a challenge because of our cultural moment. The uniqueness of things that are happening in our culture that make this a challenge. Diversity is also a gift for our cultural moment and also because it just is. So there's no alliteration or rhyming, but there is a beautiful symmetry, if I may say so, in this outline for this week. So this morning, I just want to start by saying that today I'm going to be talking about some ideas that are kind of hot button and our hot button issues in our culture. And many of you may already start to be feeling a little bit nervous. And so I want everyone right now to take a deep breath. And if you have listened to more than one hour of political talk radio or TV right now, I would like you to take another deep breath. (laughs) And if you know yourself well enough to know that when it comes to certain issues that you can start to get really nervous or anxious, I'd like to ask you to take another deep breath. I took three deep breaths. So I want everybody to know. So I want you today, I'd ask you today to be open to what God has to say to us today. And also, as I talk today, to test what I say against the scriptures, as, as I always ask for you to do. As the book of Acts says that the Bereans were more noble than Thessalonians because they studied the scriptures to see if what Paul said was true. Be a Berean today as we go forward talking about this issue of diversity So diversity is a challenge because it just is. Birds of a feather flock together. I have some people, some friends in my life that I get together with them, and I don't feel like I need to explain myself. We have the same beliefs, the same ideas, a lot of the same backgrounds. We just get together, and it's very easy to be together. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing to have. But when someone is different from me, there's ways in which it can be really hard to relate. There are barriers between us that make it difficult for us to relate. We can feel threatened or uncomfortable by people who have different backgrounds or opinions from us. And it's very natural for us then to divide up according to our similarities. The people that we are similar with, we move towards. It's a very natural thing. For us to do. It's a very supernatural thing when we come together in our differences. It's a supernatural thing to come together and not erase all of our differences, not pretend that they don't exist, but to come together and submit those differences to Jesus, to offer our differences as a gift to the community that builds up the community rather than coming with our differences and demanding that the community must submit to what I think. Diversity is a challenge. It just is. And we see this in the life of the early church. 
One of the biggest questions in the whole New Testament is how to overcome the challenges of ethnic diversities that were existing in the New Testament church. And we'll talk about that in a few minutes. But this theme shows up again over and over and over again in the book of Acts. Paul's letters are filled with theological arguments and practical instructions on how the church should live together and how they should view their differences, even though they were coming from many different ethnic backgrounds, coming together to worship Jesus. Turn with me to Acts chapter 6, verse 1. This is the very first conflict that we know of in the early church. Acts chapter 6, verse 1 says this, In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, in other words, there were more and more people coming and being part of the church. When it's a small group of people, you can kind of work out your differences together. But as more and more people come, more diversity happens. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Greek Jews among them complained against the Hebrew Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. This is the first conflict that we are told about in the early church where a group of Greek Jews are angry because their widows are being overlooked as they distribute the food together. There's some sort of favoritism, some preferential treatment given to one group of people over another group of people because of their ethnicity. This is the first conflict that we have recorded in The book of Acts. A few chapters later, the very first council of church leaders that gathered together in Acts chapter 15 were gathered together to begin to figure out what the church was going to look like when Gentiles and Jews come together and worship together. How do we share a meal together? How do we, we have all these different dietary restrictions around us. How are we going to come together in fellowship? And they hashed this out. And this is the first big problem that the early apostles and leaders of the church have to figure out. In their world, to be a Gentile meant to not worship the God of Israel by definition. Gentiles don't worship the God of Israel because they don't follow Torah. They don't follow the dietary rules. And so by definition, they did not worship the God of Israel. But in the early church, Gentiles were beginning to experience the Spirit. They were beginning to experience salvation through Jesus, the Jewish Messiah. And so they had to figure out, what does it mean for us to come together? So I've used a lot of sports illustrations recently, but bear with me for one more today. Just imagine that a Boston Red Sox fan decides that he wants to become a Yankees fan. Okay so, that, okay, so that is radical enough. That is radical enough, right? And so he begins to go to Yankees, fan, Yankees games, but he continues to wear Boston Red Sox uniforms and hats. And then, wait a second, I thought you became a Yankees fan. I have, but I still like my hat. And I still like my jersey. But you, you can't, by definition, be a Yankees fan and wear that jersey, but I want to. I'm going to keep on wearing this jersey and this hat, but I'm going to be a Yankees fan, and they can't figure that out. This is the same thing that's happening here, only magnified by centuries of division, 
and rules that God gave to them about how to stay apart from one another. Gentiles are coming into the church and saying, we want to worship the Jewish Messiah, but we're not going to follow the rules that Jewish people have. Do you see the problem? Do you feel the tension that they must have experienced? And in the New Testament, throughout Paul's letters, throughout the other letters of the New Testament, we see over and over and over again the New Testament church trying to work this out. What does it mean for us to be from different ethnic and even religious backgrounds, but to come together to worship Jesus? Diversity is a challenge. It always has been, and it always will be. It just is. Secondly, diversity is a challenge because of our cultural moment. This is going to be just kind of like five minutes of my sermon, but over the course of the last two or three days, it's become a big portion of my sermon. And again, deep breaths. Most of you have likely heard these three words put together frequently in the last few years, diversity, equity, inclusion. Over the last five years or so, these values have emerged in our culture to be very important and also very divisive at the same time. Right now, nearly every university in the country right now, every mid-sized to large corporation almost certainly has some officer or some executive in their organization whose sole job is to ensure that their school, their business, their organization guarantees these three values for their employees and for their customers. Because diversity, along with its sisters, equity and inclusion, have become important values, some people have made these the most important values that our culture should have. And because of that, we've heard a lot about it. We've been impacted by this conversation. And so I want to do a couple things today as we think about diversity, as we begin talking about diversity over the next few weeks. First, I want to show how diversity, equity, and inclusion are biblical ideas. They are God's ideas. Diversity in creation Diversity in the church has always been God's design and plan, and we want our church to reflect God's good design and plan by being a diverse church. A group of people who are different from one another, who bring our differences together to become a part of one body, who serve one Lord. Secondly, I want to suggest that these good things, diversity, equity, and inclusion, have also become idols in our culture. An idol is a good thing that becomes the main thing. An idol is a good thing that God has made that then gets elevated to a place in our hearts or our mind or our culture where it does not belong. And in many ways, diversity, equity, inclusion, good things have become idols. They are good things, biblical values that somewhere along the way became the main thing, became the only and most important values that some in our culture say we need to have in order our entire society around. Does that make sense? Good things become main things. They become idols. So let's start with diversity, 
equity, inclusion. These are good things. These are God's ideas. I've already mentioned the ways that the early church had to wrestle with the ways that God's own spirit and the salvation that comes from Jesus was beginning to form a diverse community of different ethnicities, all worshiping the same God. This was God's work among them. And diversity was God's plan even before that. God made all of creation. We heard Genesis chapter 1 verse uh, on the sixth day of creation read for us today that creation is filled with all sorts of diversity. It is a reflection of God's creativity. In the book of Revelation, it describes heavenly worship, and it's a worship that is filled with God's diverse creation, both human and non-human, represented all around the throne, giving praise and worship and glory to the Creator. Diversity is God's idea. We see the goodness of diversity expressed from Genesis to Revelation. Equity and equality. In the book of Acts, at the very beginning of the life of the church, people brought their food and their money and their wealth, and they gave it to the apostles, and it was distributed to those who were in need so that there would be some equality, some equity in the life of the church. We already saw in Acts chapter 6 that the widows who were in need were cared for by the church as people brought their wealth and their food, and it was distributed to them. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul is gathering an offering for those who are poor and who are suffering. And he says very clearly to the church in Corinth, Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but instead that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn their plenty will supply what you need, so there will be equality. Equity, equality, a fair and just distribution of wealth and goods is a biblical concern that Christians should be concerned about. Now, the role that government or corporations or people or churches, how we should play in that distribution of wealth and goods, that's up for a lot of debate among Christians, right? But the scriptures are clear that economic injustice is a part of life in our fallen world. And that God's people are called to live and act in ways that contribute to a more equitable society. That may include sacrificially giving our time and our money and our resources. It may be being very careful to resist investing our money in companies that steal or plunder from other people. It may involve challenging our government leaders when there are policies that are unjust. Again, Christians can have honest debates about what the problems actually are and the how of going about solving them, but that God is concerned about economic injustice and that we should be concerned about economic injustice is very clear in Scripture. According to Ezekiel, this was the sin of Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and needy. Equity, equality, it's God's idea. We can't be unconcerned about it. Inclusion or belonging. I can't think of a more gospel-centered idea than inclusion. <laughs> 
We who were sinners and far away from God have been brought near with God and have been invited into his family. And all of us know how painful it is to be excluded, to be left out, to be told that we're not wanted. The gospel is a message that moves toward those who are excluded and offers everyone a place around the table with God and with his people. The gospel gives people an opportunity to be included, to belong, to be a part of a family. Diversity, equity, inclusion, these are all biblical ideas and ideals that Christians have pursued for thousands and thousands of years. They are good and they are from God. I would go so far as to say that this cultural conversation that we're all having around diversity, equity, inclusion would not be possible without the Bible. That it is a uniquely Judeo-Christian idea that we are made in the image of God, as Genesis 1 says, and that all people then have worth and value because of that and are our neighbors that we're called to care for. The problem and this is always, always, always a problem in human life, is when a good thing becomes an idol. And there are two very short steps to idolatry. Two very short steps, and they're very short steps. John Calvin said that our hearts are an idol-making factory. Two very short steps for a good thing to become an idol. And these are the two steps. The first is this. When a good thing gets unhooked from God's purposes. That's step one. Step two is that good thing becomes the main thing. Two steps for a good thing to become an idol. It becomes unhooked from God's purposes for it. And secondly, a good thing then becomes the main thing or the most important thing. Two examples. Money is a good thing. But it becomes an idol in our lives when it gets unhooked from God's purposes, and then it has a way of becoming more important to us than God himself, and then causes all sorts of destruction when it becomes an idol in our lives. Sex is a good thing within the boundaries of God's purposes for it. But when sex becomes unhooked and taken away from God's purposes for it, it, be, can be, it quickly becomes more important to us in our lives than God himself and calls all sorts of destruction. When a good thing gets unhooked from God's design and God's plan and purposes for it, that good thing very quickly becomes the main thing in our life and quickly takes God's place. And idols in the scriptures always, always, always cause ruin and dehumanizes people. There is a biblical principle that runs throughout the scriptures that we become like whatever it is that we worship. We were made to worship God, and as we worship God, we are then restored into the image of God that we were originally designed to reflect But when we have an idol in our life, when we have a good thing in our life that has become unhooked from God's purpose and becomes more important to us than God, the image of God in us is marred and broken. And that is what is happening right now, I suggest to you, with many initiatives that live under the banner of diversity, equity, and inclusion. It has turned these good things 
into main things. In many ways that I don't have time to go deeply in today and don't even know if I'm really uh, equipped to do, but would love to have coffee with you about it. Diversity, equity, and inclusion have become unhooked from God's purpose and definition of what those things are and has taken on a very narrow definition of what those things actually should look like and is now compelling and mandating people to believe and live under its particular definition of what these things are. One quick example. From a biblical point of view, the color of our skin is one beautiful part of our uniqueness that should be honored and appreciated as part of God's unique design. It is one of the ways that we as individuals and as a whole church throughout the world reflect God's creativity when we come together to worship. But our skin color is quickly becoming not just one aspect of who we are, but now is seen and supposed to be understood as the main part of who we are. It's become totalizing. And many of the initiatives that are being presented were being told that our skin color, our ethnic background is just not just one good part of who we are, but rather it tells us everything about who we are. And from the moment we're born into society, because of our society's history, whatever color of skin you have, whatever ethnic background you come from, you are either an oppressor or the oppressed, a victim or a perpetrator. Full stop. And this is an example of a good thing, racial diversity becoming an idol. Diversity being unhooked from its purpose of being one of the ways that we together reflect the glory and the beauty of God and becomes instead the main source of our identity and places us into these dehumanizing categories that divide us. So, how do we respond right now to the challenge of diversity in this challenging cultural moment as Christians. In our politically charged and polarized culture that we are all swimming in right now, what happens is, is if one particular side or group or political party grabs onto something and makes that part of the cultural conversation, Everyone on the other side immediately calls every part of it evil. Do you know what I'm talking about? The political polarization that all of us experience and that every single one of us are susceptible to, it makes us blind. I want to say it makes us blind to two different things. First, it makes us blind to the good that the other side may have to offer to us. The conversation about diversity Equity and inclusion in our country is important. I think you've heard enough from me from this pulpit and in my own actions to know that this is very near and dear to my heart. And I have a personal story about why that's the case. For some of you, that's difficult for you to understand. It's hard for you to see why I or other Christians may want to be engaged in this conversation because of all of the other stuff around it that I've named today. But I say to you again, these are God's ideas that have become idolatrous, which is exactly why we need Christians as a part of the conversation. Christians who understand the literature of critical theory 
in the conversation that's happening to bring a Christian voice in perspective so that those God-given ideas of diversity, equity, and inclusion, to the extent that it is up to us, remain attached and hooked to God's purposes for them, especially in the life of the church. Especially in the life of the church. Deep breath. To offer some balance here. (laughs) There are many of you in this room who have been vocal supporters and advocates of Donald Trump. Maybe primarily because of your hope of the ways that his movement would offer good support to pro-life issues or some other issue that you think is important to Christians. That support for him has been difficult for some people to understand. But you see that he has spoken up for issues that are important to you, that you think that it should be important to Christians, which is exactly why we need Christians who support Trump to also speak about the idolatries in that movement. And there are many. Political polarization makes it difficult for us to see the good of whatever is happening on the other side of the political divide. It makes us blind to those things. Secondly, it makes us blind to the idolatry of our own side. We are always very aware of the broccoli stuck in other people's teeth. We're not very aware of the broccoli stuck in our own. We're always very aware of other people's idols. We're always very aware of the problems of the people on the other side. We don't see our own problems very well. And political polarization, and the, as I said, if you've listened to an hour of political TV or news this week, you need to take a deep breath every once in a while because this makes this all the more of a problem. It puts blinders on our eyes that keep us from seeing both the good of the other side and the idolatry of our own. Deep breath. Diversity is a gift. It's a challenge because of our cultural moment, and it's a gift in the church for our cultural moment, because within the church, we can help one another take off our blinders to help us understand and see the good of the other side and also to help us see our own idolatry. If we're willing to listen to one another, to really listen and to understand one another, the church, our church here at Broadway, has an incredible opportunity to be a healing balm in our culture right now. If we're willing to listen, to really listen to one another and to understand one another, to resist putting our brother and sister in the pew next to you into that other tribe because they think this or think that or involved in this or involved in that, if we can do that here at Broadway, especially in the next year, we will have the opportunity to be able to see better individually, to be a stronger community, and hopefully to be a balm in some way to a culture that is severing apart. And one of the saddest things that has happened in the last five years or so is that churches, and this is represented very sociologically in sociological research, is that churches have begun to sort themselves out in relation to political differences. That is a shame. The church, to our shame, has already been sorted out for decades based on ethnic division, 
But what is happening more recently is that Christians more and more are attending churches based on whether or not the leaders of those churches agree with their political ideology. And that is a shame. It's a shame. Broadway, we are here. And whether you like it or not, there are Democrats in the room. Whether you like it or not, there are Trump supporters in the room. Friends, whether you like it or not, this is the way that it is here at Broadway. And that's uncomfortable, and it's hard. But hard isn't bad, it's just hard. And not only is hard not bad, in this case, I want to say to you, it's an incredible opportunity for our church to offer something different to our city if we are willing to be open and to learn to listen to one another so that we can help one another see better. Diversity is a gift in our church for the sake of this cultural moment. And diversity is a gift because it just is. And in the coming weeks, we're going to be talking a lot about the ways that diversity is a gift to our church. We are one body with many parts. And as one part does its work, we're able to build up and strengthen the body. We are one body, some who today are mourning, and we want to be a body that comes around those who mourn and mourn with them. And we have some people who are rejoicing today, and we want to be a body who rejoices with those who rejoice. We come to the community with lots of difference and varying gifts and skills that each one of us offer to the church. And because of that diversity in our gifts, we're able to be cared for and strengthened and encouraged as a family. According to Ephesians, when we come to The church together in the midst of our diversities, in our particular ethnic identities, we make the rulers and the authorities take notice about what God's plan is for the end of all things. When we make Jesus our reason and our center, when we come together in our diversity around the worship of the triune God who is made known to us through Jesus, we are pointing to God's future when all creation will be joined together around the throne of the Lamb. When men and women, Jew and Gentile, black and white, poor and rich, slave and free, addicted and not addicted, whatever other divisions we may have among us when all of these groups of people no longer allow those diversities to divide us but in Christ come together this becomes a revelation of God's future when the church comes together in unity under Christ it is a foretaste of what God's eternal kingdom is going to be like Revelation 5, 9, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchase men from God, from every tribe and language and people and nations. You have made them to be a kingdom of priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Revelation 7, 9 and 10. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation and tribe and people and language standing before the throne of the Lamb. They were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. In these and so many other descriptions of the kingdom of heaven, We find a place where the boundaries that typically divide us from one another are no longer barriers to our unity. In these descriptions of the kingdom of God, our diversity remains. The nations are still there, but our diversity is no longer a barrier to our fellowship with one another and God. It is God's purpose to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under him as our authority. 
And as we live out that unity as a church, we are living right now for what God's plans and purposes will one day be completely fulfilled. Friends, in a few moments, we're going to come together around a communion table where we will join together as a diverse group of people, men and women, young and old, from different ethnicities and socioeconomic backgrounds and religious and denominational backgrounds, and we will come together and we will take the bread and cup, the body and blood of Jesus. And as we do this, we are declaring that among us, Ephesians 2 has become real, that he himself is our peace, who has made that which was divided, he has made that which was two, one. And in Jesus, he has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility in his own flesh. His purpose in coming was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in his one body to reconcile both of them and all of us to God through the cross. And it was at that cross that he put to death our hostility with one another. He came and he preached peace to those of you who are far away and excluded and invited you to come in and be included, to be near to him. Because it's through him and his cross that we have access to one Father through one Spirit. I'm going to take communion to now together. And if you believe that this is what we are called to be as a church because of what Jesus has done, I invite you to come and to take the body and blood of Jesus, which was given to us so that we may be made right with God and may be made right with one another. God, we thank you for this work. We confess to you all of the ways that we have allowed the noise of our culture to keep us from hearing what is true. We confess to you our blindness to our own idolatry. We confess to you the blindness of the goodness of our neighbor. God, and we ask that you would heal us of our blindness and help us to see. Lord, we ask you this because we are moving in our country, in our city, into a place that's very scary for many of us, where we are concerned about the ways that our country and now we are seeing our churches being ripped apart because of ideologies that do not come from your word, but come from man. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to see, that you help us to listen to one another, that you would help us to be a people who right now, joining together, demonstrate to the world and to the angels and the demons of what you have planned for all things. When every tribe and tongue and language and nation, and indeed all of creation, will be joined around your throne, giving you praise. Amen.